DiscerningHearts.com presents Regnum Novum, bringing forth the new evangelization through Catholic social teaching with Deacon Omar Gutierrez. Deacon Gutierrez studied theology at the Franciscan University of Steubenville and at the Angelicum in Rome. He holds a master's degree in theology from the University of Dallas. He has worked for the church in various capacities, including as a teacher and administrator, and is currently on the faculty of the School of Faith. His expertise includes Catholic social teaching, and his writings on the subject have appeared in several national Catholic newspapers and periodicals. He's the author of The Urging of Christ's Love, The Saints, and The Social Teaching of the Catholic Church. Regnum Novum, bringing forth the new evangelization through Catholic social teaching with Deacon Omar Gutierrez. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Truth, freedom, justice, three of the four values contained in the fourth point Mm -hmm. of Catholic social teaching. Of course, the great one. The, the one, the only, love. Yeah. God is love. Yeah. The, the one that anchors it all. That's right. This is um, interesting to me. The Pope Benedict XVI, who, um, who I think will go down in history as probably one of the, the greatest uh, social teaching, social doctrine popes we have ever had, um, in his first encyclical, God is Love, spends half of it talking about social doctrine. And how uh, the love um, that we have for God and the love that God has for us uh, must manifest manifest itself out into society, and so love is really the the, the sort of the, the entry point into the social doctrine. Really, um, it shouldn't, in, in, a, in a sense, it shouldn't be the last of these values underpinning the, the principles. It should be first, but um, but because it's so crucial, I think it, the, all the rest of them are sort of caught up in love. Uh, in God is Love, Pope Benedict uh, relates a story from history uh, about uh, the Emperor Julian the Apostate. Mm-hmm. The Emperor Julian was born after Christianity had been legalized, and Christianity had already started to take hold in, in a great mar- many parts of the empire thanks to Constantine and, and his sons, Constantius and the rest. Julian was afraid because of the fall of the empire that had already started to take place, he had convinced himself that the reason for it was this adoption of this weak religion, Christianity, that they needed to get back to the good old-time religion and the worship of the many pagan gods in order to bring back the, the virility, the strength of the empire, and to conquer, conquer in particular the neighbors to the, to the north. And so as a result, um, he decided to suppress Christianity again and to try to bring back paganism. Interestingly, in speaking to his high priests, he made a very crucial point to them. And that was, you have to be able to be like the Christians. And so he said to them, look how these Christians love one another. That's where that line comes from. Look where, how these Christians love one another. Julian, who had left the the faith, understood, he knew intimately, and incidentally, he had been educated in one of the, the finest seminaries at the time, having studied along with Gregory of Nyssa and, and the Cappadocians. Julian, who knew the faith, understood that its power was in the love that, that emanated from those who lived out the faith in the world. 
And the Holy Father Benedict XVI in in Deus Caritas Est, in God is Love, points to this vignette, the scene, as uh, a sign of if we're going to engage in the social doctrine of the church, it has to be rooted in this kind of primary love, this, this kind of central grounding love that, that it marks the Christians from, from the very beginning. Mm. As a basis for Catholic social teaching, then, it, again, that rooted in love, God is love. We hear it not only in that document, but we hear it throughout the whole Gospels, throughout the epistles, the, and everything else that is a key message for us. Mm-hmm. But our understanding of love, I, I think we need to go back to fundamentals in many ways because we think love is a feeling. Yes, it's thank something you. that I, the warm fuzzies, or if I'm not feeling it, yeah. it's not <laughs> That's love. Right. That's right. And that's a very good point. Again, with the other values that we've talked about in this fourth point, we've we've talked about sort of the intellectual and philosophical approach. So let's do that a bit with with love. And and there is that tendency to look at love as an emotion, as a feeling, uh, as a, an aspect of, of mere experience. When in reality, uh, it's a decision. At the end of the day, it's a decision. Uh, uh, you know, Aristotle says this. Aquinas says this. Love ultimately is an act of the will. It's a, it's a choice. Um, for another. Uh, it's a choice to recognize their dignity. It's a choice to, to recognize their personhood. So uh, fundamentally, it's, it's, it's not a feeling. And, and we, we know this because feelings come and go. Uh, feelings are, are, are not static. And also we know that it can't simply be reduced to our experience, as though our experience is, is going to inform us all, entirely about the nature of love, because our experience it could have been wrong. Our experience could have been twisted by the, the opinions of others. And the reason I bring up experience is because when we go to the Holy Father's other great encyclical on, on social doctrine, Caritas and Veritate, Charity and Truth, Love, he says at the very beginning that unless love is rooted in truth, that first of these values, mm-hmm. unless love is rooted in truth, it, be, it could dege- degenerate into sentimentality. It degenerates into feeling. If it's merely experience, if it's, if it's not based on some truth, some objective truth, then it becomes, he says, ultimately anything we want it to be. We can fill it however we wish, and eventually it can become the opposite of itself. And that's where in the danger of those, you know, I'm <laughs> thinking of, uh, of Jane Fonda, a wonderful lady that I'm sure she is, who said so many years ago, um, how can this be wrong when I, when I feel so sincerely about it? Mm-hmm. As though truth itself were some sort of handmaid to our sincerity and our feeling and our emotion and, and sensation and experience. All these things are interrelated because we, we know that that's not the case. I'm very, very sure the Nazis were really quite sincere about what it is they believed about the Jews. But they were wrong. Right? They were wrong. And their attempt to bring about a just social order by purifying the genetic code of the human person into the Aryan race, as laudable as that goal may have been, uh, it was not rooted in truth. And so the, their perceived love was actually destructive. Yeah, sincerity is very dangerous because... Yes. There are parents who feel so sincerely that this abortion is Mm. going to help their child out of a difficult situation and be able to have that happy life. There are those who feel so sincerely that if I can implement this law or have this job, that somehow that this is going to be the best thing for my family. 
when in essence it could be a destroyer exactly. of in either of those areas. Yeah, sincerity and emotion is very difficult when it when it comes to appreciating what love is. So that's why we've been told, haven't we? We've been guided by Jesus mm-hmm. and through the church what real love is. Exactly right. And that's that radical distinction. So we have this the intellectual understanding of what love and charity can be on a, a philosophical level. But again, as we've seen with the other values, the Christian gospel comes in, transforms, enlightens, uh, and brings us beyond the merely philosophical or the merely reasonable, the merely natural. It, it draws us to something supernatural, transcendent. What we discover in the gospel then is a love that's more than a decision for, but it's a love that is a, sur- a decision to surrender into a relationship with someone else, and that someone else, of course, is Christ Jesus. As we see, as, and, and to, to quote again Julian the Apostate, looking at, see how those Christians love one another, that love that was emanating from the Christian communities that transformed the Roman Empire, that was rooted in a, an experience of the love that they felt in relationship with Christ. It was rooted in the school of love that was given in the spiritual doctors of the church that were there from the very beginning. Is rooted in that sense of connectedness with the divine. Connectedness that is not forensic, it's not just sincere, it's not just emotional. It's rooted in a surety of what that, the nature of that relationship with is, which grounds us then in ourselves and allows us then to, to go outside, to forget ourselves occasionally and serve our brother and sister in need. Ultimately, all of the teachings of the Old Testament and the New Testament all come into one important, very important point and a great example of our Lord after being beaten, mm. embracing a cross, mm suffering the carrying of that cross, laying down on it, allowing himself to be nailed to it mm-hmm. and lifted up high to draw all to him Yes, in the greatest act of love. Yes. And that sacrifice, that suffering, that willing, that taking that all on, that's what we're called to. It's not easy to <laughs> no. sacrifice and to embrace, to suffer, to do any of those things, no. but to... At the very least, of giving of ourselves what we can give, yeah. what can we do, yeah. and that act of the will, that's the kind of love that the social doctrine is calling us to, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Someone once said wisely, they said, if we're, if we, when you're approaching the social justice or the social doctrine of the church and you're, you're listening to this and you're thinking, well, what, where, what am I going to have to give up, right? How much is enough to live on? How much do I need to give away? Just give me the figures. Give me the numbers, Omar and Chris. Is it 10%, 15 What is it? The answer that the church has in this, this question of, of love, the answer the church has is you're asking the wrong question altogether. You're supposed to be in relationship with God right now. You're supposed to be going to, to Christ Jesus right now and asking, what would you have of me? He may have you keep a great deal of what you have and give away the rest or whatever. It's, it, the, but the, the question has to be, what do you want? question has to be rooted in what the what cross do you want to give me and not well what can i negotiate right? mm-hmm. uh, how can i figure this this out to, to to make us both happy as though this is some sort of forensic contract this is not a contract this is a relationship it's a covenant you know it's a relationship that is eternal so we need to be asking that question now 
Uh, how does this play out practically in the everyday into the social doctrine of the church? The reason we have to approach love in this way is because of what you were saying before, because it is so difficult, because the temptation is always going to be to flee. St. Therese of Lisieux, I'm told, had this prayer where she said, and you know St. Therese wanted to be this this missionary out into the world and, and to die for the faith, but in the cloister, she said, Lord, let me not die by the sword, but by pinpricks. Those little sacrifices of every day. That's where it becomes difficult for us, I think, sometimes to connect the social doctrine, the teachings of the church, and the, the high-minded notions of Christ and the cross to what we do every day. What does the crucifix have to do with washing dishes, changing the diaper, or cleaning the clothes, or getting the car fixed, or whatever those problems might be? What does that have to do with what I have to deal with every single day? Or even more mundane, what does that have to do with the the slightly impolite comment to a coworker, or the mean thought toward somebody I, I, I see at the grocery store? Um, what does that have to do? You will not be able to make that connection unless first you understand that Christ is with you at all times, and that Christ is in the other person. And until you make that connection in love, that slightly inopportune or impolite comment is not going to be meaningful to you because you don't recognize Christ in the other in the first place. Mm-hmm. By rooting ourselves in love, we allow ourselves in those little sacrifices of every day to transform those into opportunities for love. Again, to look at St. Therese, who is a wonderful spiritual doctor, I think, for the social doctrine of the Church. There's that famous story about her being annoyed by the, the sister with, with the rosary praying, you know, mm-hmm. and uses that as an opportunity to praise God and to love the sister, right, who's making the annoying noise with the rosary there in the cloister. She uses that as an opportunity to love. It is such a challenge, and this and evokes a lot of emotion mm. because it it goes directly into our hearts, into our own wounds, and you know to get to a very concrete point in this. Here's an example that will be very challenging mm. for many. Pope John Paul II, and I'm paraphrasing, but I think I'm I'm close to what he had said said that we are to give each person, each person is due their human dignity, the value of that human dignity, no matter what evil they may have done. Now, this, is, this can be a challenge when we talk about issues, uh, for example, the death penalty, yes, the church's yes. stance. Mm-hmm. What is the, the Catholic social teaching on this? Because... Some would say justice cries out for someone who commits a murder that is really heinous. In the United yeah. States, there was a, a horrific occurrence where a man went in, home invaded, assaulted the mother, two younger daughters, and then uh, set them and their house on fire. Mm-hmm. He received the death penalty. And I, I dare say there isn't a person out there that doesn't hear those types of stories and deep down inside going, yes, yeah. this was just, this is right. But on the other hand, does no matter how evil they are, should they not have that dignity of life until God chooses to mm-hmm. take that life? And we are called to put them away if we have the means 
isolate them out, protect society, but give them the chance for repentance. Yeah. And that's the struggle, isn't it? We That is the struggle. And and it's a complicated issue. The the, the fact is that the church has always taught and still does teach that the state does, in fact, have that right to protect society. The, mm-hmm. the church's social doctrine does not deny that. And so for those who say that the church has changed its teaching on this, it's not, not true. The church hasn't changed its teaching. So the state does have the right. What the Holy Father has been saying and, and what the social doctrine teaches us is that while recognizing that right and justice, again— we recognize that we're called to something more. We're called to, to love. We're called to mercy. Again, what Christ gives us was not ju- justice on the cross, but mercy. Mm-hmm. And so when looking at the, this, this human person who has dignity and has not given up that dignity by virtue of what they have done, by looking at them, what is the most loving reaction there? Fulfilling all our requirements by protecting society, which we can do very well in these modern times, we can protect society and still be merciful to this individual. Mm-hmm. That is what we are called to. That is what we're, we're and that's what's the Holy Father, that's what the, the Holy Father, and, and why? And why? As John Paul the Great has said, because to do otherwise is to build in and to encourage or to foster this culture of death where death is constantly seems as the answer to problems. Mm-hmm. Um, when we get desensitized then to that dignity of life, that wonderful sacredness of life, even in this case, who himself has desacralized life, right? We can, what, what a great witness it is to that great sanctity by saying to the world, we recognize this sanctity is so, so grand, so, so, so transcendent that we will not even take your life but rather recognize that dignity and be merciful and 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 hope and pray for you for, for conversion. Yeah, in the in this particular situation again to go back to this instance, there are those who will cry out and say, "Well, under our system, he's going to be in the legal system for so many years fighting with appeals that that should give him plenty of time to come to Jesus and to, to repent." Yeah. If he doesn't do it by then, well, then he's had his shot. The, the the sadness in that particular reflection is that you're still putting a, a timeline on yeah. his life. Yeah. It's the timeline set by the state as opposed to uh, set by God. Yeah. And it's not even so much about the particular person, no, no matter how despicable they are. Mm-hmm. What does it do to us? Yeah. What does it do to us when we take that role on or to cheer that on? Right. That's something that I, I that really does disturb me is when people cheer on the state for doing this. That that clearly has never been part of the church's teaching. While the state has the right to protect its society from individuals uh, who could be an, an honest danger, at no point, at no point are we to be encouraged. Um, at no point we we feel joy uh, at the state performing what the state might have to. But you're right. The Holy Father's point is that what what does this do to us? And what does this do to um, uh, our habits uh, at looking at the dignity of the human person? It's I'm I'm making a stretch here, and for mm-hmm. those who some. Who may be listening? This will they'll roll their eyes or even get angry with me for <laughs> making this connection. But 
in the time in the Colosseum, those Christians that were being forth for execution were considered criminals. Technically, they were. Yeah, they broke the laws. Yeah. And so we look back at that time and we say, how barbaric, how unjust. Yet it that's the slope that you end up sliding down if you don't adhere to the basic principle that each person has their human dignity, no matter how evil they are. Exactly. It, it doesn't. It it also has to speak to the fact: what is our hope? Right. What What is beyond here? What is the forever yeah. that we're heading for? Yeah. If we think that it all has to take place in this moment. Yeah. You know. Yeah. It's a. It's a, the desire and and the the tension within the human heart to see justice played out here in this world. We want that to happen. And again, nobody's arguing what the just thing to do would be. Mm-hmm. Um, the question is a matter of mercy. The question is, is what is is the church calling us? And prudentially, what is the church calling us to do and to consider? And when you take into account, I mean, you bring up the Colosseums. So many of the movies that our kids watch these days are rife with violence and death and the the desacralization of the dignity of the human person. Whether or not it's horror movies or it's simple comedies, constant drumbeat in society of using other people as means to ends. In the midst of the culture we live in then, how wise is it to engage in yet one more act of violence against someone, no matter how just it may be, how wise is it to reinforce these bad habits that are causing us to be so desensitized to the dignity of the human person? especially for the human person in the womb. And this will be a discussion that in future conversations that we'll enter into even more deeply. But again, another very touchy area in our heart as a society is immigration. Mm -hmm. Uh, What is the responsibility of the state? But then what is the responsibility of the individual Christian? Right. That's another good uh, situation where, again, we see... I'll quote uh, John Paul II again, uh, where he says, By itself, justice is not enough. Indeed, it can even betray itself unless it is open to the deeper power, which is love. We can talk about the justice of uh, our immigration laws up and down, but when that enforcement of justice results in families being torn apart, results in Uh, individuals starving and allowing their families to starve for lack of of, uh, the ability to find work or or to feed their family, at that point, justice has, as the Holy Father says, begun to betray itself. Justice is not enough. Justice is the bare minimum. Justice is important, but it's only a first step. As Catholics, we must believe it's only a first step to love and mercy and to see the dignity of the human person, regardless of where they came from, regardless of what language they speak, regardless how that is they came before us. The fact is they are before us, and we must act in their, in their favor, especially in support of, of family and life. To be able to deal with these unbelievably challenging points, we have to begin with prayer. We can't do it without in- hearing... The first voice 
the the number one voice, the one that speaks to our hearts, yeah. and then from that, that is discerned in the life of the church. Yeah. Then from that, bring in the other commentator. Then bring in the pundits. Bring right. in all of the other things. But yeah. from that paradigm, we're called first for that encounter with Christ in our hearts. Mm-hmm. And then mediated. The mm-hmm. church is the moderator for the Christian Catholic. Yes. That the church is the moderator of the discussion. Yeah. Yeah. And this is precisely why we when we're doing these five points, and it's good to reiterate these things. You start with Christ Jesus and that relationship with him. And then you go to a communion not opposition. And that communion we're we're given that body of Christ, the the church we're given is is what helps us guide us along in the school of love. The church is the school of love from which we can understand this. And, and we even go into talk about the, the domestic church, the family. Now, the family is the school of love. That's where we learn these principles and values of social, the social doctrine. It's precisely because at the, the, the fundamental cell of society is, is the family, because family is rooted in the kind of love we're talking about, that we can enter into the, the fullest fruit of the social doctrine. When asked recently what the Pope Benedict XVI's approach to social doctrine is, a fine summation, Colonel Turkson, who's the head of the Congregation for Social Justice and Peace, he said that the Holy Father's approach to social doctrine is rooted in the family. Family, which is rooted in love, which starts in love, which is guided and formed by the love between spouses, the life-giving, open love that produces children, and the love between children and their parents, that love gives us a model for how we understand social doctrine and gives us an, a, a, a way of practicing it in the practical. So community and that love of the family also within the church. The church gives us and guides us on how to practice that love. And then, as you said, then we can bring in the experts and the pundits, etc., as we try to start to apply that and apply that with the, the principles that are coming up in the, in the next point. Mm. Any final thoughts on this very full point four? Um, I'll, I'll say this. This was from Deus Caritas asked the Holy Father, Pope Benedict. He says this, Love will always prove necessary even in the most just society. It's always going to be necessary even in the most just society. And he goes on, There is no ordering of the state so just that it can eliminate the need for a service of love. Whoever wants to eliminate love is preparing to eliminate man as such. Mm. We can work for justice till we're blue in the face. But ultimately, it's about creating a civilization of love. This is what John XXIII talked about. This is what Pope Benedict is saying. When Pius XI talks about uh, reforming the social structure, it's about rooting it in love. And we encounter that love in Christ crucified. Thank you, Omar. Thank you. You've been listening to Regnum Novum, bringing forth the new evangelization through Catholic social teaching with Deacon Omar Gutierrez. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation to help support our efforts. But most of all, 
We hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for Regnum Novum, bringing forth the new evangelization through Catholic social teaching with Deacon Omar Gutierrez.